podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies. Today, I have another guest for you, and this is not a 100% a startup founder, but we'll get into the details. Again, this is a little bit longer. We've been running at recording times of approximately 35 minutes. So right now, there would be a good point to make a break to take a snack and a drink and come back here and enjoy the interview. Hey, Olaf, how are you doing? Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for having me here. Totally my pleasure. We may add that you're somehow a returning interview guest. Uh, it, we, we talked about it before. Uh, we had a YouTube appearance together uh, when we've been mixing somehow the German and the English channel back in the days. And uh, our interview actually aired end of October 2016, almost five years ago. So people are forgiven if they don't recognize you, but um, you're also the person who gave me this awesome quote that I quoted over and over again here on the podcast, <laughs> investing is the opposite of sexy. <laughs> re 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 really like that, but that's actually true because people, uh, you almost have to force them to invest to earn money. And unfortunately, that's still the case. But you are here because you have to do something I would call a corporate startup within a large finance group in Germany. But And I've read online that you surpassed 2 billion assets under management there as well. We will get to this. But first, let's talk a little bit about what you did in the past. And what I found very interesting, you went to university partially in my hometown and did a PhD in physics. Um, you, you even have been at the CERN. Uh, this is, uh, for everybody who's not familiar with it, this is like a circle underneath the Alps where you can actually accelerate particles. That's why I do believe it's called a R particle accelerator. And it's also the place where the internet was invented, right? And, and I was there <laughs> when they, they invented it. I, I was one of the first users, I would guess, our experiment was one of the first users. So yeah, maybe I, should I tell you how I came to, to physics and left physics and came to finance? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Name is Olaf Zeitnitz. Uh, I studied physics, but uh, I have to, to tell you that in, in school, I skipped physics. No? So the, you see from the beginning, I like to change things. I like to jump from one topic to another. Uh, boring is the worst thing that can happen to me. So to do the same thing again and again is pretty bad for me. So uh, every couple of years, I try to do something new, can be in the company, can be outside the company. So I started without physics at school, then I studied physics, uh, made my PhD. And uh, in, I think in 94, 95, I was there at CERN uh, for the University of Mainz. And I remember there was the first uh, WWW conference, worldwide uh, web. Um, And uh, that was quite small and was like what, what they are doing there. And, and we used that stuff in the beginning just for documentation. And it was funny because I remember a friend of mine, he was a Dutch, Dutch uh, physics, uh, physics guy. Um, he told us then, 
how this he, he might can use that later for for business. Uh, he could set up a shop. And we all said, "Oh, shops! Why do shops and that stuff?" And so was, we were Dutch people, a good businessman, huh? and so he had a good idea. But he did something else. He did data analytics later. Um, and a year later, we ordered our first CDs from CDWorld.com. It had it was interesting uh, because we had then pay a lot of taxes for the Swiss taxes to the post office. I had to go there and pay a lot of money. <laughs> so it wasn't worth the money, but it was amazing to order a CD through the internet. Uh, it was one of the beginning. So uh, I was one of the first people who had email and that stuff. And that was also shocking later when I had to, to join the, the German uh, finance world. Um, but actually they hired me because I had this experience uh, with the internet and that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I've done that physics, but I noticed when I do physics, I, I didn't want to go into academia. Uh, um, you, you mentioned CERN, it's a particle physics experiments. Uh, they're huge experiments, like thousands of, of people from different countries. Amazing stuff, you learn project management, you learn data analytics, you learn algorithm. But these experiments they tend to, let's say they take 10, 15 years until the result comes up, because there are so huge experiments and, ex and expensive experiments that the, the final result uh, is, is coming pretty late. So I, I'm not really that that way to wait 10 years till the result comes up. So I decided, oh, let's go to the economy. Let's see where I can work. I started to study business administration at a, at a distance university found in Hagen in Germany here, uh, sending me topics and I had to work at home. Um, so I learned a little bit also about business stuff and then I applied for a job. And actually I ended up uh, in a bank because I'm bald. You see, you know, not much hair. So it's, I think it's a good story because you see that fate or how you call it, kismet or whatever, or luck uh, is somehow important where you end up uh, because I already had a job contract at home working in Frankfurt for a consulting company. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, okay, let's go to one of these student bonding fairs where you can, companies and students can, can, can talk to each other. And I went to such a fair here in, in Karlsruhe in Germany. And I had lost my cap uh, climbing. And there was a company, a bank, and they had a, a booth there and they had caps. And that's the only reason I went there because I wanted this cap. <laughs> I needed this cap because I had to protect my baldness here. Um, and uh, I had to talk to them. I couldn't just pick up the cap. And so I talked to this human resource woman and uh, I thought, ah, why should I work for a bank? Boring stuff. Huh? And actually, <laughs> but she told me, oh, we have a new department where I hire people like you. We normally you hire only bankers, but you're as a physics guy with a new department. They should do new stuff. And we want people from outside banking. And I thought, okay. I sent in my normal you know, CV and that stuff, and then I got an invitation. And then I talked to my future boss, and he was also coming from, from automotive. He was not coming from banking, and he had some great ideas. And then he noticed that I had experience with the internet and all that stuff. Uh, he made me a good offer. He told me, I can offer you some interesting stuff. Like later we had a visa project, uh, secure electronic transactions, first uh, payment with internet, with credit card stuff uh, a long time ago. That was something new. Um, so I joined this bank, which was the SEJ bank of the corporate banking sector, which was not well known to be really uh, progressive, but they were progressive in that, that department at least. And I had a lot of fun there. And I learned a lot, different projects on a European level. 
Um, so I never regretted my decision, but like you see, it was, it was pure luck. Right? It was not really planned. Uh, so I ended up in finance, finance IT. You wanted um, to have a cap and you ended up at a bank. <laughs> Interesting <yeah>. story. <laughs> so be careful, careful when you get a cap. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a story I like to tell like, young people when they ask me, how do you, why did you join a bank? And I said, to be honest, it was pure <laughs> fate or, or luck. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I never regretted it. I mean, I, I, I've, I've done some nice projects and um, it's, it's not, you can do interesting things there. It's, it's IT, it's data analytics, it's project management. So um, it was fun. I stayed four years and then I went to Union Investment Group. Yes, and we may add uh, Union Investment or Union Investment is one of the big asset management companies here in Germany. As you said, they are owned by the cooperative banks in some different structure. We don't care about th those details here. And um, basically, all the cooperative banks like Volksbanken, Raiffeisenbanken, and there are a lot of them here in Germany, more than 1,000. Um, they well, say uh, 800 to 900 only. So they're merging all the time. Okay. I think it's 880 at the moment. But still a lot. Still a lot. <laughs> still a lot. a lot. And basically, um, they own this, and that's what they sell as in-house asset manager and mutual fund products. Yes, exactly. So we are come out B2B for C, we call it. It's, it's, we have the banks doing, doing B2C, and we supply products uh, for the local bank. And that's also something related to Visual West, my company, the, the It's a kind of startup. As a fintech, it was a startup. It's not a startup any, anymore. And it was not funded through venture capital. It was funded through union investment. So like you said, it's not a strictly a, a real startup uh, fighting the same uh, things like that the real startup scene has to fight uh, because we had a rich mother from the beginning uh, and a strategic view what we have to do. But still, we, we did it the same way the startups do it. Uh, so we hired people. We started small, just two or three people. So in principle, we are method, from the method side, we were a startup, but not from the funding side, maybe. So it was a different, different view in that. I would guess you could call it something like a corporate startup. I would, I would be curious how this whole idea started, how you ended up from being a managing director of IT of one of the big asset managers in Germany and in Europe to uh, do corporate startup. How did this happen? I mean, that's, that's what I said in the beginning. I had to do boring stuff and boring is for me when I have to do the same thing again and again. And I would say like 2013, 14, I had reached the level that I said, okay, the job is, is boring. It's not a bad job. Uh, everything is okay, but it's just uh, the same thing. You had to, to complain when the outsourcers were doing bad things and they had a project failure here. And um, so I was looking for something new. And then, then we noticed, and I noticed, Nutmeg in UK and Betterment and Wealthfront in, 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 the, in the States. And I was really amazed. Hey, these guys take a standard product or ETF portfolio was nothing new, but they put it, they sell it in a complete new way. So it was not a technical innovation. It was a sales innovation, a channel innovation. They made it so simple to, to on, the onboarding, uh, the presentation was nice, the tools, these Monte Carlo simulations, uh, this graphic stuff. Um, that was great. I thought we have to do that too. I don't know if that will be uh, maybe successful in the long run for the investment, but I thought we have to try that. And, and um, 
So I, I developed, a, let's say, a concept together with some, some colleagues and uh, we had a good relation to the board of directors and then I was able to present that to the board of directors of investment. And I was really not sure if they would give it a go because I was asking for quite a lot of money and I told them, uh, like, I have no business case for you. Right? You will not make any money in the next three or four years when you invest that money. And usually that's the end of any project. You know that, no? Uh, everybody wants a business case at least after three years. You have to tell them you can make money. So I told them, no, you will not remain, but we will learn a lot. Even if you close it down after three or four years, we will learn and we have to do it. We have to try it because when that stuff is successful, it will change our business model. It will change the business model of our local banks. So let's try it. Give me the money. Uh, we, the good thing was we had a perfect year. We had a lot of money. We made a lot of the profit. It was really good. So I could I picked a part of the profit and they gave me the money because they knew me. They, they were not really like, that would be a success. No? Like the, one of the bottom legs people that told me, I don't believe that will be successful, but still I give you the money. You can try it. No? And that was okay. I didn't ask for anything more. No? So they gave me the money and uh, I, I went outside. I told them already from the beginning, I will have to do that outside your investment. No? I have to hire new people. So in that way, it's a startup. Uh, I have to use the back office of the investment, but everything I will new from scratch. I will hire new people. I will use the money to do something. And then we will see if the banks like it. And that was one of the problems in the beginning. We didn't know how the banks will be back because your investment, like you said, is doing B2B for C. It's not doing a direct B2C stuff. So if the investment would do direct B2C, the banks will see us as a competitor because they own us and they will just say no. <laughs> They would stop it. They could stop it. And uh, so we had to tell them, and we did from the beginning, we're not doing that to, to be a big competitor of you. We will try, we try things out. And if they work and you like it, we will build it for you. You can have it too. No? But then it's proven and it's done. It's not, let's say, a proof of concept in the lab. It's not a PowerPoint proof of concept. Uh, we all have these huge virtual desks where we have all store all these uh, PowerPoint projects or we have a lot of labs where you try out interesting things, but they never go live. So I said, we have to bring it live. We have to have the, the license. We have to have the product. We have to show them that it works. That there's a new way to do selling portfolio management, selling portfolios of, of ETFs and active funds. We did both in the beginning. We have to show them that it works. And then we have to how we can adapt that to the special cooperative, let's say, sales structure and trade strategy. And that was something we had to learn. I mean, we didn't have, we had to change a lot. We had to adapt all the time. And that's something I learned from the beginning. You started with plan A, then you move to plan B, and you have to adapt to B plus, and then you move to plan, you add up plan C, and you learn a lot from your clients, you learn a lot from banks. And if you adapt all the time, you are successful. If you do not adapt, if you're not fast enough to adapt, you will fail. No? And then you, you have to close down the, the, the business. That never happened, but still it took, like you mentioned, now we have the assets on the platform, we call it, because a lot of B2B stuff, we cannot call it asset under management. It's asset under the platform because the asset is owned by the local banks, right? which are, they have you know, 450 tenants on the platform. So it's quite a lot bigger and smaller tenants. And they bring in the, the majority of the new money. Uh, and so it's what we call it as a platform, but that's, that's okay because we make money out of the platform and the platform scaling is important for us. 
not the asset under management stuff. That's not the important feature for us. For us, it's important to have the platform there and to help the banks doing business because we also participate. When they sell something, we make money too. Uh, we share the money. Um, and that was really interesting to see how we could start the company. I had people from e-commerce business, no ideas about banking. Like I said, uh, they should try to bring us the idea, how can we make banking sexy? I think it's impossible to make it really sexy, but at least you can make it a, a little bit attractive and you can reduce the pain maybe <laughs> to invest and help them. Um, but we also learned that we have to integrate that into the, let's say, service center structure and we have to integrate the branches. And if you have this hybrid approach, it's my, my opinion, after five years, only the hybrid approach is, is, is really successful. Right? You have to, the customer wants to choose different channels from online to the service center to the branch. And you have to all, offer all these channels together, at least if you want to reach the mass market and the mass affluent market. And we're not doing product banking here. We're not talking about robot advisors for rich people. We talk about robot advice for people starting with 25 euro per month. Uh, so the normal family investing. Uh, it's not, not rich people investing what we do here. Uh, we had to learn how to adapt different projects. We had different B2B offerings. All that we had to learn. Uh, so it's not one B2B offering for the local bank. We have different offerings from easy to use, uh, might label stuff to more advanced, uh, um, specialized uh, thing. We, uh, we have building blocks and the bank, the bigger banks can choose from these building blocks and, and let's say put together their own robo-advisor uh, using these building blocks, uh, doing their own portfolio management, uh, choosing different features, uh, how many portfolios, all these kind of things. And we learned that we had to offer that to reach all these banks uh, because these cooperative banks um, are really different. We have small banks, bigger banks, we have Banks in cities like Berlin, we have rural banks, we have banks without any branches, we have banks with a lot of branches. Like you see, it's really heterogeneous, you would call it, probably. Uh, and uh, we have to have an offering for all these banks, and we have to have an offering for different clients, uh, from mass to mass affluent. Yeah, uh, I, I find your point about platform pretty fascinating. So basically, you did not build a robo-advisor, but you built a platform on which your clients, meaning the banks, can build with tools, a robo-advisor they can use for the clients. So basically, you build a robo-advisor toolbox on a platform. Is that about it? Um, okay, in the beginning, we just built a robo-advisor. So we learned that we had to build something else or to add up features for the bank. They're not building on their own. They have, let's say, uh, a list where they can choose features. So it's not that they have to build it on their own. It'd be too too complicated, and they don't. They're not interested in building their own robot. They want to have their 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 own solution. So like they can choose colors. They can choose amount of project. They can choose if they want to uh, let unit investment do the portfolio management, or if they want to do their portfolio management on their own. They can choose the funds for their own portfolio management. But the rest is a software as a service platform. So. Um, It's, 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 we offer building blocks and they can choose, but they're not, say, say, setting together the building blocks on their own. So it's not another framework. We, we send them and it's not a software. Um, it's more or less, uh, they can choose from a list of features and they can change uh, algorithms. They can tweak algorithms. Uh, they can set the risk levels, um, these kinds of things. Uh, they can change the, the list of questions they want to ask the customer to come to the risk level or the risk appetite of the customer. 
Um, so there are different features. And, and this is a project for the bigger and advanced banks. They have their own portfolio management, but you also we have an offer for a local bank, a small bank, where let's say Union Investment is doing 90% of the stuff and the bank are just bringing the customers. And it's important to have, to have both in our, our product line here. Um, but that we learned, we didn't start that way. We learned that we had to do it. That's, that's what I mean, we, you have to adapt. You have to adapt fast. And the success comes when you adapt to the needs of, of our B2B and B2B channels. You have to have to do both, in my opinion. Uh, otherwise, you know, the German market uh, is crowded. Uh, we have like 30 robo-advisors or more. Um, never, never, ever all these robo-advisors will survive. Uh, some have already left the market. We will see mergers. We will see uh, closing down robo-advisors. We see uh, robo-advisors bought up by competitors. And that will increase, in my opinion. The market is just too small. Uh, in my opinion, you have a market which is good enough for five, six, seven players uh, who can survive and, and make enough money to, to live from their business. But because in the long run, you need a business case. Even your investment, they want a business case. Even if it was a strategic investment in the beginning, in the long run, you have to have a business case. And we have that business case now. But it took us some years and some investment to see what the market really needs and how you really can reach clients. Uh, and uh, we see other successful approaches from, from competitors. They target usually different uh, client groups, uh, richer people. Um, but I think like the couple of robotics will survive, um, but the majority will not. But that's a normal startup. I mean, life cycle, in my opinion, eh? it's growth. And then after the growth phase, you see some reduction of the players. You had a lot of interesting points, especially you when you've been talking about um, that you have to have like a physical presence, like a branch network in order to be successful. Would you say this holds true for Germany and for certain customer segment out there? Or would you think that this holds true like across Europe and uh, uh, in the world. And um, secondly, uh, let's get to this question first. Yeah, it's a, it's a question you could talk for an hour about that question. Um, I don't think you, you definitely, you do not need a branch system for all clients, but for some clients, a branch system works perfect. I would add up, you need a branch system and a service center system, because when it comes to efficiency, uh, even the banks have problem to serve clients who invest only, let's say 25 euro per month saving plan. It's quite too hard, it's quite hard to, to have that efficient in a, in a branch. You better do that through the service center. And I would guess in Germany, we did some, some market research, um, more than half of the people in Germany still want an advisor or like to have an advisor. Uh, they want advice. They don't want a salesperson. They want an advisor advising them and telling them what they should do, what is kind of risks they have and helping them. Um, so I think for a lot of clients, you will still have either a service center guy helping these people or you have a branch when you may have more money, you will have the offering to come to the branch. And since we have banks just doing a lot of branch business, they use their branches and the service centers. We have other banks. Uh, I can mention because it was in the press, the GLS bank which is the greenest and biggest German uh, SRI ESG bank. Um, they only have uh, three branches in Germany. They do a lot of 
online business and on, on service center. So we have banks using just the online channel. We have banks who use a lot of branch uh, customer approach stuff. And we will have both in the long run. We all know that the online part will grow. But I, I think still in five years, we will have some branches. We will have a lot of service center stuff. Um, and we will have a lot of online stuff. But still, I mean, in Germany, the people are, like you said, uh, are quite illiterate when it comes to finance. And they're not really interested in finance. And that has not changed the last five or six years, in my opinion. Um, so we will still have quite a lot of people who would love to have somebody helping them. If the banks have the money and the manpower to really service all these customers who want it, or if you have to push these customers to, let's say, service center or digital assistance. I mean, that's why we, when we talk at the end, probably about the future, we will have to talk about digital assistance. Uh, where we have to invest because uh, when you come from the efficient side, efficiency side and, and the cost side in the bank, um, it will be hard to cover and to service all clients in the long run when they don't have the money to cover the fee for the for the advisor. Uh, that's 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 not what the banks want, but that's that's the something they have to do. They have to think about how much money can I make with the customer investing 500 euros and that's it. Uh, and we have a service fee of 0.6% per year. It's not, it's easy to calculate that you will never get the money back when you sit together with this customer for two hours or longer, or at least, or maybe twice, because you have to take some time to, to tell them what to do, how to invest. So robo-advised technology is a good thing for the customer, in my opinion, but it's also a good thing for the bank because it helps to service customers efficient with a good product. It's not a bad product, it's a good product. It's a well-managed portfolio. It's wealth management for normal people. It's not wealth management for private banking, for, for mass affluent people with 250,000 or more. So you have a nice product and you can make it really simple. And maybe the service center helps through these smaller uh, obstacles. People maybe see they don't, they don't know what to do. And when you have a service center helping these customers, you can do it efficiently. So robot-advised technology is much more than selling funds online, in my opinion. It's a good idea. It's a method. It's an idea. It's a, uh, and that's, that's, a real, that's a real innovation. It's not a technical innovation. Eh? Nutmeg and Betterment, they never used, in my opinion, a real technical innovation. It was an, another approach. And that, that's something interesting. It's not that it's a small, small feature that they offered. No? It was a big step. Big step to to increase these customer convenience with some simple technology techno without using technology, without using AI or blockchain or whatever. Right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to see. You don't need a technical innovation all the time. Mm -hmm. You could use the, the the technology was there for ten years before, mm -hmm. but nobody used it in that way. More a business model innovation, as you were saying. Yes. So yes. Uh, basically. Um, You, uh, you have already like above 2 billion euros in assets under management. 2.6 <laughs> billion assets under management. Yes. Uh, therefore, you should be one of the very big robot advisors. And you said you see for like six or seven robot advisors that it will actually survive. 
Right now, we may tell the audience that in the asset management market, there are a few independent asset managers. Then there's the big DWS, which usually works with Deutsche Bank. There's DECA, which works with all the Sparkassen, the thrift organizations. And there's union investment working with all the cooperative banks. Uh, that means there will be only three to four independent robot advisors really left. Do you think they'll be very niche or the kind of well-funded guys like scalable capital that that just get the mass and go out in the mass market. What do you think will be a likely outcome there? I think there's play for some niche players. I mean, two or three specializing in something maybe like like uh, sustainability, ESG might be a niche for some players, but the majority of the players will be either related to to one of these let's say bigger things like like cooperative banks or saving banks, sparkassen sector, or have a, a Deutsche Bank in, in the background. Um, two or three of these bigger players specializing on a, on a different, let's say, customer group. And scalable and liquid, um, they have a different target group. Right? They're not looking for a small family investing 25 euros per month. Right? They have 10,000 or 100,000 euro as a starting point. Uh, and scalable moved also into this out of, of, of robo advice. Um, so I think we will have these, these players and they have investors. I mean, that's, they're really independent. I mean, we all know that scalable has BlackRock in the background. Uh, so I don't know how independent they are from BlackRock. I don't know really, but they have a, a big partner. Uh, they have a partner, ING and BlackRock. Um, that's something really important that was really important for the success of, of scalable. And Liquid has H2 Trust in the background. Uh, so they're, they're not some small startup with a small minor investment and, and venture capital people in the background pushing them. Um, they have a long-term plan probably. Uh, and that's why they're successful. We may add HQ Trust would barely tell, uh, would barely tell the people anything about it, but we may add that HQ Trust means the family office Harald Quant, which already passed away, but people may know, for example, they are holding a controlling stake in BMW. So they're really wealthy family helping to build up this yeah, robot advisor. Yeah. And that's yeah. why they have deep pockets. And of course, apparently the know how to manage money. They know how to manage money, and they have uh, approach to to knowledge, to skill people, and 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 they have this long term approach. Um, like I said, I think no, not one robot advisor was ever able to to become profitable in in a few years. I mean, that's the same for Nutmeg. Nutmeg was just bought. I think last week we we read the news. I think JP Morgan bought Nutmeg, uh, and they are in the market now. I don't know seven years or longer. Uh, I don't know if they ever made any money. No? Um, so you have to have investors uh, who invest long-term. Uh, if they want their money back in two or three years, uh, Robert advice is not maybe the best place you put your money in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that may hold true for the venture capital investors, but I still do believe that it's a smart decision general for people who want to invest, who think this is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's much better than before. I mean, like like you said, it, it's before it was paper selling or sitting together, uh, looking at papers and reading regulation pages and regulation pages and regulation pages. Uh, uh, there was no fun for the advisor and not fun for the client. So that has improved a lot. It's still a regulated product, which is good. 
I mean, it's a protection for the client. We talk about regulated funds. So there is no risk for the customer, even if the robot advisor will vanish or go out of the market, the money is for the customer is safe. We'll always stick to his, his own account. It's, it's not gone with the robot advisor, which is important in my opinion. And that's why the BaFin also, I think, accepts these robot advisors. In the beginning, we all feared maybe that the regulator in Germany, the BaFin, would be against robot advice. But I, I have to say, I was, let's say, amazed and positively amazed that the, the BaFin was not trying to, 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 to do something against robot advice. They have said, define some, some, let's say, red walls. You have to, you have to sell a nice, uh, diversified portfolio. You should use uh, regulated funds, uh, which is completely okay. And then it's okay to use these, let's say, shorter approach, selling uh, onboarding approach, where you do not ask 100 questions. You only ask maybe 20 questions, but only if you have this product. Would not work for, let's say, other products. Uh, so in that way, we were like, it was a positive thing for the German market that the robot advisors were allowed to to do their business in the way we, we do it now. We may add that those questions are basically European and German regulations that actually try to assess how much risk you can take and how much experience you have so that not just somebody who just got a lot of money and turned 18 is just blowing all his or her money away in just a few weeks uh, with some derivative trades. That's ba basically the idea behind it. Um, Olaf, it was just a pleasure having you here. We want to talk about corporate startup. It turned out to talk about how to build up a corporate startup, an overview of the German uh, robo-advisor market, as well as some insights into visual vest and investing. We are already running a little bit longer than usual. We have to cut something out, but we are running well over 35 minutes by now. So I just want to thank you very much with Just a pleasure having you as a guest um, and hope to connect with you again in, let's say, five years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That would be great. All my pleasure. Yeah, have fun. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is startuprad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything only startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.eo podcast or check for the StartupRad.eo internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.eo skill as well.